Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Welcome into the All 22 Podcast. My name is Chris Lombardi and I'm with Ray Cotto. Ray, it's been a, another week of just chaos NFL news, uh, but a lot of things to kind of track and, and uh, keep your eye on. So today let's talk about those things. And I'm going to start off talking about Joe Burrow, right? So at practice, Joe Burrow hurt his calf. uh, And they're saying that it's just a bad strain. But he might miss the entire preseason. And there's really no real word about when he will be back. Will it be week one? Will it be before then? Will it be week three or sometime after, right? It's kind of an unknown at this point. It's It's going to be about how he feels. What I'm worried about is really like, how does this affect his draft stock? If you're drafting for the first time, you're all 22 franchise, right? And then... What does it mean for his outlook on this season, right? There might be some dynasty concerns, right? But this season is where the real concern lies. So I'm curious, one, how does this affect your rankings, right? And then two, what does it do to his like long-term? You know, it's interesting. And maybe I'm not the right guy to ask, but for me, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> um, I would still have him as my quarterback, too, after Mahomes and uh, before Allen and Herbert and the rest. Um so it doesn't change much for me. Uh, I, I think Burrow, he's at that level at, at the top of the league, basically, right? To where if that's your horse, you just got to ride him. If you think he's simply better than, you know, the other guys that are sort of in that neighboring tier there, uh, like a Herbert or an Allen, then I still think you take him, even if it's just this year. I'm not saying he'll be 100%, you know, come week three or anything like that. I, I actually just don't anticipate that he's going to miss games. And Burrow's a tough guy. And, you know, there's still a month plus to go before the season starts. He probably won't be 100%, but I don't think he's going to miss time with this. And so if he's on the field, you're starting Joe Burrow, and I think he's going to do very well regardless. Um, So it honestly doesn't change much of anything for me. I wouldn't try to get cute and say, if I do like Burrow the best, say I'm going to draft Burrow, but then... Uh, earlier than I otherwise would in my startup draft, I'm going to go ahead and take a second quarterback and then try to stream based on weekly matchups early on. At that point, I think you're getting way too cute. I just think if if Burrow is out there, you ride him and that's it. Don't yeah, overthink I've never, it. I've never really heard of a calf injury being like a nagging long-term thing, right? It's usually something people can heal from. So I'm not extremely concerned. I think the only people that should be thinking about this are those that are playing season long, right? Like if you're playing all 22 and you're doing it in in a season long instead of what its natural purpose is, which is dynasty, maybe then I would start to consider Josh Allen. And I don't think there's anybody else, right? I think Josh Allen is maybe the only other guy that kind of gets into that top three range with the Burroughs and the Mahomes. Uh, And if Burroughs calf means that he might miss week one and two, would I rather have Josh Allen out there to make sure that I'm getting wins in those week? Maybe. Does that change your mind at all? I'm too stubborn, man. Yeah. Burrow's my guy is my guy. Okay. All right. Well, that's I, I, I agree, right? There's there's not much to do there, but I think if if it is season long, I might consider Josh Allen. Otherwise, this doesn't really concern me. Joe Burrow will be fine. He'll be thrown to his boys, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase before we know it. Uh, but let's move on to the second kind of news that we didn't catch. I forgot last to say week. Irv Smith. Come on now. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> we missed this last week, but it did happen last week. And that is Titus Howard getting an extension with the Texans. And I really want to talk about this more from a contextual standpoint, not necessarily because I think he's the greatest player and it's, it's big news, but contextually, right? Titus Howard got a three-year $56 million deal with an $18.6 million annual salary. Okay. Tackles right now in our game are 4.77%. Running backs are 2.94% down from last year, right? Down under three to now 2.94. It's more than half of what tackles are, but it's, it's getting close to being half of the value of a tackle. When we talk about a guy at the talent level of a Titus Howard, who is not a bad football player, right? He's probably middle of the pack of tackles. I think it's fair to say, right? He's a, he's a 60 grade guy. 
He's 27 years old, but he's consistently on the field. He's a starter. Uh, he's getting paid $18.6 million while a guy like Saquon is fighting for his life to get $11 million. We talked about this to death last week a little bit, why Saquon's situation is the way it is. But I think this is good context to show how valuable the league thinks tackles are, right? They're paying a guy that's an average tackle, maybe even some seasons below average, $56 million and 18.6 annually compared to what running backs are getting. So, Ray, I think this tells the users a lot about our game and why what we're doing is different and important. But is there any message you want to talk about with this deal? Yeah, I actually have a lot to talk about, but let's start sort of with where you're going, right? I think to underscore how teams value offensive tackles and why it's so important in the league and in all 22, Howard is the ninth highest paid tackle based on average annual value now in the NFL. That is higher than any running back, tight end, and center in the league, and is higher than every safety outside of Derwin James. So, and, and Christian McCaffrey is just over 16 million as the number one, you know, highest paid running back. So that's like over two, two and a half million dollars less than Titus Howard. So it just goes to show you that teams value offensive tackles. And if you have even a half decent one, you don't want to let that player go because big guys who can move well, or even relatively well are just harder to find and they're more important. So yeah, it, it just, it just underscores what we say. And basically the whole premise of this game is these guys are valuable and everyone knows it, but this just sort of quantifies it and is sort of in your face about it. That Titus Howard is ha more highly paid per year than every running back tight end and center in the league and just about every safety as well. So uh, again, just goes to show you how much these guys truly matter and how much they're valued in the NFL, which subsequently means they're highly valued in all 22. Yeah. And I mean, I, let's take a second and look at it from the Texans point of view, right? They made huge investments in Laramie Tunzel, drafting Kenyon Green, trading for Shaq Mason, Shaq Mason, I think, and then going and signing Titus Howard to this major extension. They've put a lot of resources into that offensive line, and I'm pretty sure they drafted a center too. Yeah, Juice Scruggs. Uh, juice, right, exactly. So huge investments along this offensive line. And our game, again, goes to show you why they do that, right? Because what they're doing is they're protecting a rookie quarterback, which is the most important investment that a team can make, right? So you go and draft C.J. Stroud, and what do you do? You surround him with the best offensive line possible and try to lock that in for the duration of you know maybe those first two, three years, which are really those critical years for a quarterback's development. They lock that in for him, right? No, he doesn't have a number one receiver yet. No, he probably doesn't have a number two receiver yet, but he's got an offensive line that's going to keep him clean and let him learn how to play the quarterback position. So I love that, right? And that's what uh, you do in all 22, right? You have to invest in that offensive line to have a competitive team um, and our weights will uh, kind of help you discover that. So I think that's a really important element of our game that not, of, not enough people really understand until you get in there and start playing. Yeah, and so I think it's time we take our listeners for a little bit of a walk. And Chris, you may remember this, but I'll paint the picture for our listeners, right? It's a beautiful Thursday night. We're in the PFF offices in Cincinnati. There's college football on in the background, week one college football, college Thursday night football. We're doing our first ever in-person All-22 live draft with all the big guns at PFF, right? We're talking Austin Gale, Nate Yonke, Sam and Steve are picking remote. We got Neil in the room, and I am stuck. My cue is wiped. I'm sweating. It's round 40. We're out of mac and cheese, and I panic. I absolutely panic, and I take Titus Howard, a young tackle slash guard coming off of two bad years back-to-back -back, and was about to have another, right? He did not play well in 2021 either. But he was a first-round pick, had long arms, and played a valuable position. So I, so I just, I grabbed him. There's like four seconds left on the clock. I grab him, and immediately just drew the ridicule, just drew the ridicule of everybody. Right? What a bad pick! It was a rookie mistake. Can't believe you made this game, and then you have a pick that bad. Like of all people, right? Yada yada yada. Now fast forward, he has a decent year in 2022, and gets paid. Mm -hmm. So, 
who has the last laugh. I don't know. I do think there's some upside there. Um, Are you calling out everybody at PFF right now? I'm calling out everybody who has ever been at PFF, even if it's just for like a one-day visit, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You, You took a tour. You walked past the building on your way to breakfast. You drove past Cincinnati on the highway. Mm-hmm. I'm calling you out. Okay. Wow. I, I took all the arrows for that pick. Mm-hmm. And now he is still on my team as offensive tackle seven. Okay. He's my seventh offensive tackle. You heard that correctly. Um, but I do think there's some upside there uh, in the sense that he bounced around so often from right tackle to left guard uh, and then back to right tackle early on in his career on some really bad teams and was surrounded by not a lot of talent. Right. And so finally having a full year right tackle under his belt, which was his best year last year. And now that he gets to stay there for another season and now they do have, uh, you know, a a high upside talent at quarterback and they are slowly building this thing the right way. There's some upside there. Do I think he's going to be a top 15 tackle in the league or anything? No, but he was around top 40 in 2022. And I think, he can descend to around top 30 ish, give or take. And that's, you know, that's a low end tackle to starter or the first guy up in your, uh, from your bench at the tackle position. That's a very valuable spot on your all 22 team. So, um, again, and it's an important spot too. So I do think there's some upside there too. And I think that's why at the end of the day, they did end up signing this guy to a big contract like that big in quotes, because again, he's not top five or anything as far as tackles go, but, he got a decent sized contract and I think that's why. So I don't think you can, you know, say like told you so to PFF people yet when the dude really hasn't had a good year. Um, But besides that, as an aside, I'll say one thing that we kind of have been watching the trend on since we've started all 22 is the effect of having veteran quarterbacks on the offensive line performance. Right. And Tristan works is like my favorite example of that. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how he performs this year without Tom Brady as his quarterback, because we have this theory that when a young guy gets drafted to a team with a hall of fame quarterback, or even just like a good quarterback, right? A mature quarterback. uh, A lot of times their performance will exceed expectations, right? Whereas a guy like Titus Howard goes to the Texans and playing for the Texans with, I'm pretty sure when he started his career, that's like when Deshaun Watson was like, not playing for the Texans, but was the Texans quarterback, then Davis Mills, right? So has he really had a quarterback there to help him develop? I don't think so, right? CJ Stroud enters the conversation, not saying he's a veteran quarterback or a mature quarterback or a Hall of Fame quarterback, but he he might be a good quarterback, right? And that might help his offensive line significantly. Um, And we'll see, we'll see. So uh, there is a chance that that will have a positive effect on Titus Howard. Will he enter that top 30? I don't know. Uh, but I, I think it's a gamble worth taking. So I'll give you that, Ray. Let's move to Jonathan Taylor. So talking about how, you know, worthless running backs are, let's go to a running back and talk about Jonathan Taylor, who has now requested a trade from Indianapolis. And I have a theory on this, and it's basically what we talked about last week, is that the veteran running backs got on a Zoom call and said, how can we fight back? And the most valuable way that they are going to fight back, which is what kind of we talked about, is having the young guys say, I'm not just going to keep playing, right? You're not going to wear me out so that I become worthless when it's time for me to sign my contract. Jonathan Taylor is going into year four, which means that the team can have control on him for year four and five without signing him to a long-term deal, right? Year four, meaning uh, the year that you, uh, it's the last year of your rookie deal, year five being your franchise tag year. Jonathan Taylor is saying right now, I'm not doing that, right? Unfortunately, he is the only running back from that class that's really like worth anything right now, right? J.K. Dobbins got hurt, hasn't really been playing much. He He could be a good player, but right now it's really just Jonathan Taylor in that draft class who's able to say, I'm super valuable right now. This is my, this is the best I'm ever gonna be. And I'm I'm not gonna play another down until I get paid and until I get that extension. Next year, we have guys like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams coming up on deals. And I could see all three of those guys next year kind of doing the same thing, right? Saying, I'm not playing year four and five until I get my payday. So, you know, is this going to be a trend, Ray, that we're going to see? Yeah, they heard the episode last week where I said, hey, after year three, you guys got to stop. You got to band together and say, I am not playing on my first contract in year four. It's just not happening. Um, 
And yeah, like you said, and it's kind of funny because J.K. Dobbins is also kind of doing this, even though he hasn't really backed up with his performance uh, the way Jonathan Taylor has to date, right? Mm-hmm. Dobbins has been nicked up, injured, and just kind of in and out of the lineup and so forth. And I think he's also really talented and can have a big year uh, if he stays healthy, but he doesn't quite have the leverage that Jonathan Taylor has. Now that also, in addition to Taylor saying, hey, I either want to be traded or paid, and Jim Irsay just being just completely crazy um, and and basically publicly insulting his the centerpiece of his offense when all he had to do was just say nothing. Um, you know, Zach Moss broke his arm today or, or yesterday, this week, he broke his arm. So now the Colts are down to Evan Hull, a rookie fifth-round running back out of Northwestern. And the thing is, I usually, I'm that guy, right? Yeah, I take a hard stance at the end of the day. Like, it's a running back. You can kind of plug and play them. But the Colts aren't a normal situation either. This is a young quarterback who's not a normal young quarterback. This is a young quarterback who's really an athlete and is kind of a boomer bust type player right now, right? In an offense that's predicated on the run. And so if you take away Jonathan Taylor and then you take away another veteran running back in Zach Moss, you can't just throw a raw rookie quarterback out there on the field right out of the gate and line him up next to a fifth round rookie running back from Northwestern and just say, yep, go have at it. Just, just throw it to Michael Pittman and, and, and you know, you'll be fine. Like it's important to surround that quarterback. We talk about it all the time with talented players in an environment that allows them to actually grow and develop without putting too much on their plate too early. And the Colts have the sixth most cap space in the NFL, at least according to spot track, right? Uh, that can vary a little bit here or there. Um, and they have that rookie contract for a quarterback for the next four years. So they have the space. And so given those factors and the style of play, it's not so cut and dry to just say, well, Jonathan Taylor's a running back and I don't want to pay him. And so, yep, it's owners versus running backs and the owners are not going to budge. Uh, you want to ensure that your quarterback, your boomer bust quarterback is sufficiently supported through his formative years in the NFL. So he can actually grow and develop and adjust to the game. And what are we really talking about? I don't think Jonathan Taylor is trying to get $20 million a year, right? We're talking what? 12, maybe 13. That's not a huge deal for a top five running back that your young quarterback can, can lean on. So Think of it more so as an investment in the environment of your young quarterback than succumbing to the demands of your disgruntled running back. I think that's just the best way to look at it and the best way to play it. You sign him to a four-year extension. That really means you can get out of it after three years anyway. And you're, you know, you no longer have Jonathan Taylor on your books after he's 27 years old and everybody just kind of moves on with their lives. And listen, this is what needs to happen. This is what running backs need to do to start gaining a little bit of respect in the league and getting what they want, right? The, uh, the, the NFLPA is not helping you here. There's nothing you can do until the next you know, uh, time you go and look at the books and figure out how to change the rules of how you're paying players. Until that day comes, until that next CBA comes, this is what you have to do. There's no other thing that you can do. So it has to happen. And you're right. What Jim Ursay said was disrespectful. But the reason I wanted to bring this up at all is just, again, kind of tying everything back to all 22, right? Another big reason we brought this game to life, right, is because we got sick of playing games that essentially it's your success is tied to the least valuable position as per the NFL, right? Running backs are all that matters in regular football, in regular fantasy. Um, And, you know, if you're lucky and you have a Justin Jefferson, that helps. But if you don't, it's running backs. Imagine right now playing a game where your best player that you took in the first round said, I'm not going to play because my team's not paying me, right? And that happens with other positions. But this is something that's going to happen all the time now with running backs. That's that's not a game I want to play, right? That's not a game I want to play. I want to play a game where quarterbacks are the most valuable position, where guys like, you know, Justin Herbert's getting paid $260-plus million, and he's happy because he's really what's valuable to the NFL teams. Um, that's kind of my take. I don't know. Do you have a different one? No, that that's that's exactly it, right? And so to kind of bring it back to what I was saying, right? The most important thing here is a quarterback, is a young quarterback. That's your franchise quarterback. So if I'm the Anthony Richardson owner in all 22, I'm saying get this get this guy signed 
mm-hmm. and give my guy a chance because if you, you know, if you're, you know, what is it, penny wise, pound foolish, you're going to ruin your biggest investment as a franchise, which is your quarterback. So allow your quarterback time to grow. And again, that goes for the NFL and all 22. So this is not just, there's a broader running back discussion at play here. But then when you look at just the cold situation, this is not just about your principle regarding paying running backs. It's about helping your quarterback succeed because that is your biggest investment, just like it is in all 22. Exactly. And we're going to talk about the Colts a little later. Let's move on to the next kind of last bit of news, and that's the Jalen Ramsey injury. Uh, He tears his meniscus and requires surgery. He had surgery, I think, today or yesterday, and he's going to miss multiple months of football, right? The Dolphins invested in him thinking he can be that stalwart cornerback uh, across from Xavier uh, Howard, right? Across from Howard. They, they had that defense set up, right? They go and get uh, Bradley Chubb to help with the edge rush. They were bringing in the pieces to really fortify this defense to be a top five defense in the NFL, to have this explosive offense and this explosive defense. They really were priming themselves for a, a run at the Super Bowl. And Ramsey goes and, and gets injured. He's going to miss a bunch of time. He might not be back till like week 10, right? Week 10, week 11, week 12. That's that's big, right? And especially now he's a 28, 29-year-old player. He's going to be playing the season 28, 29. This is the end, right? Like there's not that much left in the tank when you get to that age. Coming back from an E injury, they're saying they're going to try to bring him back quicker. But when you're a 28, 29-year-old corner, that might not be the best thing for you, right? It, it, you might not come back. 100%. So from my vantage point, I'm looking at Jalen Ramsey this year and I'm saying he's probably not going to be the elite level athlete that he usually is. So what do I have to do to make sure that I'm primed to to be successful even with this happening? So Ray, do you think this is a big concern and how are you kind of uh, fortifying your team to make sure that you're you're ready for it? Oh yeah. Um I think a couple months back when we were talking about the trade that we actually correctly predicted months in advance. Um we mentioned, or at least I mentioned, that Jalen Ramsey probably has one elite year left, maybe mm-hmm. a couple good years thereafter. But you don't really bank on corners at age 30, 31 years old being the top guys that they were early on in their careers, right? It's just such a demanding position athletically in space to chase around these these just crazy, just monstar wide receivers uh, for 60 minutes. It's just... It's just tough to do. It's a young man's game, basically, right? And now, as far as All-22 goes, this basically eliminates that one year. If he comes back in December, that's the entire regular season, and maybe he's back for the playoffs, but is there a ramp-up period? It's totally possible that come November 1st, we're sitting here and and uh, you know the ESPN ticker and, and everything is saying that Jalen Ramsey is is close to suiting back up and you know he's he's primed to be... Uh, you know, return in week 10, week 11. And and that's great. You get an extra month out of him. But again, the at least the majority of that one elite year left that we were basically tracking is now lost. So, and hold on one sec, because let's yeah. stop right there. You're, you're banking that they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs, right? This is a division where you're playing Aaron Rodgers and the Jets and Josh Allen and the Bills. Like, are we sure now that this is a playoff team? Yeah, they expanded the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. I would say so. The Dolphins are really good. That's a, that's a really good roster. I would say so. It's the so AFC, I do think, though, right? It's the AFC. You got it's, the Chargers. The you got the it's yeah. The Broncos with it. Peyton. Like this. This is going to be a, like one of the best conferences we've ever seen. I get it. But even then, they just have to be in the hunt for this to happen, right? Even if they ultimately don't end up making the playoffs, if they're just in the hunt, come Halloween. I think you see them go, okay, okay, Ramsey, let's, let's get back on the field here and, and, and make our run, our end-of-year run. Um, but again, that's pretty much the entire year for, for fantasy, right, as far as All-22 goes. And so you're going to hold him all year and bank on him being 100% for the final week or two of your All-22 season and then the playoffs if you make it. For that, honestly, and it could be jumping the gun, but – the way I see it and how I was positioning myself with Ramsey on my roster, I would try to trade him to someone now who thinks that I am being too reactionary and get a pretty decent haul for him for someone who still values him. Uh, while, you know, all the hubbub is about Jalen Ramsey and he thinks that he's getting one over on you. And in reality, you're, you're basically just pivoting from that 
final elite year getting taken away from you. So I'm putting him on the market. Yeah, I mean, I would think about that too. But at the end of the day, if he comes back for playoffs and he's a, you know, he's usually an 80, 90 kind of player and he comes back and he's a 70, 75 player, that's still really good at the cornerback position, especially with how volatile it is that I, I probably want to keep him around. But I do want to, in the interim, find somebody that can step up and be my number one corner if I am you know, a top contending team. You know, I'm, I'm assuming if you're a top contending team and you have Jalen Ramsey, he's your number one corner, right? Like he is the number one corner on your team. You're going to have to replace that with something, right? So if you don't have the depth that you need, either one, go out and buy a couple players that you're intrigued by that you think could step up and be that replacement collectively, right? Maybe one of them has a good week here and there and you, you based on matchups. But if not, you have to go get that number one corner. And to be honest, there's not that many of them out there, right? There, It's a really volatile position unless you have a, uh, Patrick Sertan or you have a uh, Sauce Gardner, like there's not that many guys that I trust just like throwing out there every single week that are going to do well, right? Even top paid Trayvon Diggs recently, right? Like he's not a guy that you could throw out there every single week and know that he's going to do well. It's just a volatile position no matter how good you are. So it's risky. And I would say definitely go and make an investment and try to find somebody to replace him. Let's move on to the next segment, right? It's our hidden gems. We've taken a few weeks off from it, but we're going to jump into the AFC South. Uh, and we teased the Colts before, right? We were talking a lot about the Colts. Ray, I want you to lead off telling us which player you think is a hidden gem for those uh, Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna stick with the cornerback position. And I'm going to go with Darius Rush. I think I mentioned this. He was also my sleeper rookie for them, I believe. Um, but the Colts drafted Julius Brents in round two and then doubled back to get Rush in round five. And that's two big six, one plus corners. You have Kenny Moore as a slot guy and the Colts like those bigger outside corners, even going back to investing in guys like Rocky sin, right? He's got Dallas flowers in front of him. I'm even saying that name correctly uh, on the depth chart, who was like an undrafted free agent. He didn't play much in 2022 and wasn't impressive when he did. So I think Rush is poised to be a starter before long in Indianapolis, and he has a lot of good athletic traits. So, And he's clearly just in the mold that Indy is looking for in their corners. So he might not be startable in year one as a rookie in all 22, but I do think there's a lot of upside moving forward. And so that's the guy you kind of want to hold on to at the back end of your cornerback room and just watch him develop and then come 2024 and beyond may have yourself a good player there. That's a good pick. And it's, it's funny because the Colts have had very successful drafts in recent years, right? Like they're one of the best drafting teams in the NFL. I tried to stay away from rookies, right? When I'm having this conversation, but I think that's a great choice. Uh, but I went with the guy from last year. And I think there was actually two guys from last year's draft that I could have put forward here, both on the offensive side of the ball. One of them is Alec Pierce, who I'm not going to talk about. But if you look at his week by week, he actually had a really great rookie season starting as a rookie, right? Guy that like not a lot of talk was, you know, not a lot of people were talking about Alec Pierce, right? But he actually showed up, was a starter for that team. He did pretty well, right? But the Colts have another guy they took in that draft, and that's Bernard Raymond, who, again, you don't hear a lot about, and there's not a lot of press about him. But he was a third-round pick that was a starter last year after, I think, the first eight weeks of the season stepped into that starting role and just was very consistently good, right? He didn't do anything fantastic, um, but he finished really strong. He had three weeks of the season where he graded over 70 and then four times, uh, excuse me, he had four times where he graded over 70. And then he had one week where he graded over 80 in the last seven weeks of the season. So a really strong finish to his rookie season. And now you insert a running quarterback into that system, right? That only makes offensive linemen's lives easier. We saw that with Lamar Jackson. We've seen that with Justin Fields. Like that's how these offensive linemen get a break, right? Because when that running threat is there, that means that maybe there's not somebody rushing, right? There's somebody in spy. And that, that'll be huge for Raymond. Huge for Raymond. Uh, the only knock I have on him is that he's a little bit of an older guy, right? He will be 26 this year as a sophomore. But that's okay, right? Just because the ceiling isn't incredibly high, doesn't mean the floor has to be incredibly low, right? Could be somewhere in the middle, and he can be a solid offensive lineman for your All-22 team. I don't necessarily think he's a starter on my team right now, but he's a guy I'd love to have as my fourth tackle and just be able to insert when I need to because he was consistent and he is a more mature young player in the NFL. 
Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of his. I mean, a lot of people stay in college for eight years. That's that's cool. It's whatever. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't his biggest fan pre-draft, and I mean, he certainly played well down the stretch enough to to somewhat prove me wrong mm-hmm. uh, after a pretty slow start, you know, up until that Jacksonville game. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if he can keep it going. Um, the situation is 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 still pretty good there, right? Yeah, add Anthony Richardson, like you say, all those factors come into play and are to his benefit. So yeah. I like the pick. I don't. I honestly don't think I have a single share of him because of my initial opinion of him. But I, I agree with everything you said. No, likewise. And like he's a guy that I totally overlooked. Right? I watched his college film, wasn't blown away. Looked at his age, was like, not touching that. Right? But then he showed up and he did really, really well. Right? And now he gets that running quarterback. I think it's a worthy investment. But let's move to the Jags. I'm going to kick this one off, and I'm going to say like honestly, I looked at that roster, and they were. They, Everybody there is either a first-round pick, a former first-round pick, a former first-round bust, or just a guy that I don't have a lot of faith in. Like, there wasn't a lot of guys on that Jags team that I look at and go, that's a hidden gem, right? Like, you're a first-round pick, you're not a hidden gem, right? I've learned my lesson with that. Uh, And there's one guy that I, I looked at, and I looked at kind of his grading, looked at what he's done so far, and I'm intrigued. I'm not saying I love him, but I'm intrigued. And that's Andre Sisco. He's a safety, right? Oh. Out of, tell me you picked him too. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I, did, I did not pick him. Oh, you hate him. Okay, we'll talk about that. But anyway, <laughs> it's a very strong word. But sure. Okay, go ahead. He's uh, he's entering his third year as a pro. He was not a starter in his first year, but in his second year, he logged over 1,100 snaps, uh, and he graded slightly above 67 uh, in PFF grading. Uh, and again, I don't think he's a fantastic football player. But when you look at what they've done on that. Jacksonville defense, right? You get Trevon Walker, you have Josh Allen, and you fill the inside linebacker positions with Devin Lloyd and Foyer. I'm just going to say Foyer. Uh, and, and you build that base foundation up the middle. And then you go and you have a guy like Cisco in the back of that, right? And it takes a lot of pressure off of him. So I think as those core guys in the center of that defense start to mature and play together and start to learn how to interact with one another, that's only going to do that back half of that defense a lot of a lot of good, right? I think Cisco is a guy that I would say can make something of that, right? Again, I'm not going to come here and say the corners that they have because, again, they're all first-round picks or they've been successful already. So I have to go with a guy like Cisco who I think is going to benefit from all of that maturity that's starting to form around him or that first-round infusion of talent that they've uh, put there. So why not a guy like Cisco, right? So I would say just, again, he's maybe like you were talking about Titus Howard. He's a 40th. 45th round pick that you're just going to help booster your defense with. But he's a guy that don't be surprised if two years down the road, right? He's a 75 grading player. And I think that's a really good thing to have at the safety position because it is a hard position to draft in all 22. It's a hard position to draft because guys like Andre Cisco get lost in coverage so often. I wonder how much that 90, uh, 90 graded game against the chiefs of all teams last year kind of, kind of uh impacted that final grade there because uh, you did kind of tail off towards the end of the year but yeah i was uh, similar to just without the age difference there to to bernard raymond i looked at him wasn't blown away i was like people are going to fall in love with this guy's athleticism and they tore his knee entering the league and i was like okay there possibly goes the athleticism whatever so mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I had a tough time with the jaguars too and it's because of of those things you said, right? It's like, oh, former first round pick or someone who's already doing well. Um, but, or it's like a veteran that's like, it's not really a hidden gem. They have nine years in the league and they are what they are. And you're thinking you might get one really good year out of them still. Or it's a guy, really or it's a guy you just don't believe in, right? Like, I don't, I don't right. want to go out here pitching guys I don't believe in. And Cisco's like borderline that. But yeah, it was tough. So, okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went with this is this is a very running back centric episode i guess i went with tank bigsby okay no 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 what do you mean no he's two a third rookies, round rookie two rookies back to back hidden gems right not guys the whole division the whole division is rebuilding it's hard to find like veteran or young vets to actually pick the whole no, division is freaking rebuilding Tell me about tank bigsby so there's a lot of etn truthers out there right i'm i've never really been one i'm not so sure he's got a weird gait he's already been hurt and he was drafted by a previous regime. And if nothing else, even if these th- this current regime likes Etienne, they they kind of hold him back a bit because you could tell they kind of don't want him to get hurt, right? They kind of have him on a little bit of a pitch count type deal. Maybe that's because he was coming back from an injury, but 
they invested a day two pick in Tank Bigsby for a reason. He's going to play. You don't draft a player on day two to not play him. He's big. He's explosive. He runs well in zone and gap and is one of the best or was one of the best at yards after contact in college in a horrible college offense that was a complete clown show uh, in Brian Harson's last you know few months there at Auburn. So he came from a horrible situation and was pretty much the lone bright spot. And so again, the Jags like him. They're cautious with Etienne. Bigsby's got the skills. So I think if nothing else, Bigsby has a large enough role to be effective for your all 22 team. And then if Etienne gets nicked up at all, I think Bigsby is going to take that job and absolutely run with it and make it really easy for them to simply give him the reins and move on from a guy that they didn't draft and don't have an interest in signing long-term because it's from a previous regime that also ended in just absolute catastrophe under urban Meyer. So going with tank Bigsby. Yeah, it's a, it's an easy pick. Right. And uh, I agree with everything you said about Etienne as well. Right. He's a guy that was brought in to play this running back receiver hybrid role. They spent like half of his rookie season training him to be a receiver. Then he gets hurt. Right. So he hasn't really had this, like a lot of time to really get his feet wet in the NFL. And He's going into year three. So at some point it's either like make or break. And he's a guy, he's a guy like the conversation we had before, right? That's soon going to be like, Hey, I need to get paid. And it's like, do you really expect us to pay you after you've done essentially nothing in the NFL? We have tank Bigsby here. Who's this like workhorse back. Who's going to just like bully people in the NFL. We're just going to ride this wave. Right. And I think that's probably why they did that. You know, we've talked about that, about it on the show about my feelings of Tanks Bigsby. When I watched this film, I saw a really good back and it really reminded me of like a Nick Chubb. Uh, and then I went and looked at his athletic numbers and it didn't blow me away, right? Like Nick Chubb's explosive numbers are insane. He's strong, he's fast, he's explosive. Tank Dell's not, or sorry, Tank Bigsby isn't really that. He's, he's good, he's just not that level good. So I don't know if I expect Bigsby to be this instant, immediate, like killer in the NFL but I think he could be a good back, right? And and especially if all he's doing is being a spell for Etienne, he's going to do great. But I don't know. Let's let's move to the Texans, and you could tell me why you think Nathaniel Dell is your sleeper. He's he's not my sleeper. I'm going to go with rookie Juice Scruggs um, as my sleeper. No. Um, maybe he, he actually is a pretty decent pick for a sleeper. He, I think he was my rookie sleeper actually for the mm-hmm. for the Texans there, because again he's just awesome. Went to the greatest university in, in the planet. And um, just a, just a great all around guy, awesome football player, just like everyone else. All right, let's go, school. let's go, let's go. But let's go. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I I have two names that I could pick from, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure which one's better. So I kind of wrote both down and just kind of have like you know one foot on each end of the pool here. But Nico Collins, now that he has like a legit quarterback, and we know like Robert Woods won't ascend to the number one guy, and simply put, someone has to right. So maybe with better quarterback play, not that he's going to be a top 15 or 20 guy or anything, right? But we talk about all the time how wide receivers need that opportunity. They need the targets their way in order to have the opportunity to take over games and get those plus plus plays. Maybe now with a legit threat, so to speak, even though there's going to be rookie mistakes and growing pains and everything, just like you'd expect, maybe Nico Collins has that opportunity to sort of ascend from top 40 guy to top 28 or 30. Right. And that's a name that's kind of flying under the radar because wide receiver is so deep, but he could just be another good name that you can throw out there and he will do well for you. If you ended up going elsewhere in your startup drafts and need to circle back on a wide receiver that will get maybe some wide receiver three play for you during the year. So do you want me to name my other one or do you want to go? Cause no, no, yeah. I was like, so like I actually had Nico Collins took him off because I was like, I want Ray to do this. And I didn't, we didn't talk about this before, but I knew that he was going to be your pick. And I honestly think he's a great pick this year, right? Because of all the reasons you said. And if you look at like a guy like Donovan Peoples Jones last year, who had kind of his version of a breakout where, yeah, he's not really like a, a name that people were talking about. He's a late round pick, but he got an opportunity and he played pretty darn well. Nico Collins could be that except for there's not another receiver on the team. Right. So like Donovan Peoples Jones had Amari Cooper last year. Uh, Nico Collins isn't going to have that competition. 
So this really is a huge opportunity for him to be successful. I think that's a great pick, right? Like, I don't even think that's like a, um, I, of all the people we've talked about today, I think that's the easiest pick to make in this kind of uh, thing we're doing here, our little uh, hidden gems. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball, a little bit of a stretch, but again, it was, it was tough, slim pickings here. If you're not picking a rookie, like, you know, it's not supposed to be. Uh, I went with Jonathan Grenard. And um, I don't know if he's a hidden anymore either, though. He's he's kind of out there. Nah, he's hidden. He's hidden. Just shh. So if you he's know a guy. Right. Think about it. They draft. They draft Will Anderson. They have a guy like Jerry Hughes. So Grenard's probably not going to be a starter this year. But Jerry Hughes is 35 years old, and there's going to be opportunity, right? I think he's going to be a uh, a rotational player this year. And um, yeah, I think I think it's an opportunity, but. He had a really good year two years ago in his second year in the pros, and uh, he had an 89.2 pass rush, which is probably why you're saying he's already broken out. But then last year, he struggled to do really anything and ended up missing a bunch of time with a calf injury. So he's coming back, but he's coming back to a spot that's not really his. So he's going to have to earn his, his opportunity again, and I think he can do that. Uh, and you know, I think it's a luxury for him, right? He's, he has a guy like Will Anderson and a guy like Jerry Hughes. That's going to take a little bit of heat off of him. Uh, just a couple of years ago, he had eight sacks, right? So again, yes, he he's already done good things in the NFL, but it's been a while since he's done them and he's coming off of an injury and he's going to have to earn that spot. So I think, you know, all, for all of those reasons, he's a guy I want to target as an, as an investment opportunity. And besides that, it's also his contract year, right? This is, this is that year where he has to prove himself. To, to get that next deal. I don't know if it's going to be in Houston, honestly. I don't know. But it's uh, somebody I'm willing to take that that chance with because I think that the upside is great, right? Eight sacks a couple of years ago, great pass rush grade. Why can't he repeat that? He's going to be, I think, 26 years old. All the opportunity in the world for him to step up and really be a star on that defense. You know, Good for Jerry Hughes. All right, let's just take a second to admire the fact that this guy is 35 years old. <laughs> okay, you mentioned him. He's 35 years old, was a first-round pick in 2010, and like had three really bad years to start his career, just was not good, and people just kind of forgot about him. And then for the next 10-plus years, he was just a good player pretty much year after year after year. Like never top 10 or top 15, but like was just good everywhere he went and every time he stepped on the field and now he's 35 years old and is still holding down a spot uh in the nfl going strong after probably you know 90 percent of his draft class has retired and has been retired for a couple of years by now so yeah good on jerry hughes um agree on on, on grenard i, I kind of like the player would like to see how he does with with some more run here maybe he does get it as he kind of i, I think for you to be correct in what you're saying, I do think what we'll have to see, and if I were to guess, this is what we will see, is kind of a, a, a stair step and ascension of snaps getting greater and greater every single week. Or, um, you know, he'll average probably a dozen more snaps per game in the second half of the year than he will the first, as he maybe takes over that role if he is playing well enough in a in a contract year to warrant an extension extension from the Texans or anywhere else, right? He's putting tape out there for all 32 teams, not just Houston. So uh, yeah, always like the player. So I'm good with it. Dude, Hughes is a couple of years older than us, right? A few years older than us. And I wake up every morning and I have like neck pain from playing a little bit of college football as a backup, right? Like this dude is 35 years old in the NFL and like plays significant snaps every single year and is still doing it. Like, yeah, total shout out to Jerry Hughes. That's like, it's my idol right now. <laughs> Good for you, Jerry. Good for you. Yeah. All right. I'm going to kick off the Titans. And the only reason I'm going to kick off the Titans is because I don't want to be the one to finish with the Titans because my take is going to be awful. Um, and it's really because I don't like a lot of stuff on the Titans. I don't. Uh, mm -hmm. If it wasn't coached by Mike Vrabel, I think this would be the worst team in the NFL. Like, sorry to say. That's not a bad take at all. This is the worst yeah. team in the NFL roster wise. Um, so what I'm going to say is I think it's one of the corners and I don't know which one, right? They have spent a first two seconds and a third round pick in the last three years on cornerback talent, right? And what do they have to show for it? 
not much, right? It's Roger McCreary, Kristen Fulton, Elijah, uh, Elijah Molden, and Caleb Farley. So four guys that I think combined played 1,700 snaps last year, right? And we're looking at that group and saying, okay, Fulton had a 63.8 grade, Farley had a 42.5, McCreary had a 62.6, and Molden had a 67.5. If you're telling me my team spent four top three round picks on those players and hasn't gotten a star corner out of it, like, I, yeah, like there's no – Obviously that GM got fired, right? Like that was the easiest firing that's ever happened in the world was that dude getting fired. But I think that there are talented players here, right? Like Roger McCreary is a good football player. I think he's probably, if I had to pick one of the guys, it's probably him to be the guy that steps up and has like a big year, but any of them could, right? We're talking about Caleb Farley, who was like projected to be a top 10 pick before he had like injuries affect his draft status. I think he's a couple of years removed now from that and it's a make or break, right? Like he's either going to be out of the league in a year or he's going to step up and be a pretty good football player, but I, I don't know which one it's going to be. And again, out of this group of four corners that they spent extremely valuable picks on, I don't know which one it's going to be, but if you watch the film and you really break it down, I'm sure you could identify the guy that you feel com comfortable investing in. And, uh, and I would, right. Like I would take a risk on one of those guys, have them on my roster and hope for the best. I think it's really interesting you say that, right? Because I am going with a corner. And I think the way this is going to play out in Tennessee, right, is I think at the outside corner spots, they're going to have essentially sort of a three-man rotation there, right? You got Christian Fulton. You, you got Caleb Farley. But the one guy you didn't mention, the one guy they didn't draft, is Sean Murphy Bunting. And that's who I wrote down as my sleeper. I really like Sean Murphy Bunting in, in Tampa Bay. He's always been a good size, good speed, athleticism type guy with Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. And kind of similar to what you were describing with Tennessee in their corners right now, but at a better level of play. At Tampa, those three were kind of just in a soup. And like depending on the week, month, or season, like one was better than the other. And none, none ever sort of jumped out as elite or top flight. But they were all pretty good, right? And so last year... Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting had a top 24 coverage grade among all cornerbacks with a 74.5, finished 26th overall among corners uh, in the league. So that's a starter level corner at all 22, right? In a league where you can't have enough good ones and the good ones are hard to find. And for me, the, the wide receivers in this division are not exactly scary, right? I mean, we just went through this, this division and we're like it's pretty tough to find sleepers here and you know guys we're really excited about that aren't already established there's no justin jefferson's in this division there's no cd lambs there's no aj browns there's no one that's really scary right mm -hmm. not that michael Pittman, for example isn't good but there's no one that really scares you at wide receiver so i do i do think that helps someone like sean murphy bunting who i think was brought in because of what you mentioned those draft picks didn't really pan out or haven't yet panned out and they needed some certainty. They needed some stability. They needed some quality from a vet who's still only 26 years old and now in his prime. And so with a coach like Vrabel, who always gets the most out of his players, like we mentioned, I think that bodes well for Sean Murphy bunting. So for those paying attention, this might not, you know, you might know him from again, that sort of rotation in, in Tampa Bay, but if your league mates haven't been or they're a little bit asleep at the wheel, this is a good player you can nab late or maybe buy low on because I've always kind of been a fan and I think the opportunity is there for him to run with in Tampa, uh, excuse me, not in Tampa, in Tennessee. So it's interesting. I And I agree with you. Um, and I think that the new GM, what he's done so far with his draft was, was smart, right? He got a guy like Peter Skaronsky early, Taji Spears. I like he got smart, but all right, yeah, go ahead. Come on, I mean, it's smart. Oh, you don't is he like playing uh, at center? Is he playing at center? I don't know. <laughs> you don't like Skaronsky, right? But the the reason I'm pointing out those guys is I think those are guys that can step in and be like strong players, even if they're not great players, right? That's how you build the foundation of a team is by having guys that are going to go out there game after game and just put up solid performances. That's going to help everybody, right? I think that's what they lacked with the last regime, right? They weren't drafting those guys. They were drafting everybody they drafted was a huge like risk right like Caleb Farley um who is the tackle that was out of the league in like three months 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Isaiah, um, Isaiah Wilson. something Wilson, Georgia, Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah like Wilson out of, out of the yeah. league in three months, right? Like they were taking these huge risks. I think like, it was a little longer than that, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it was like, he was off that team quick, quick, but anyway, like you need a foundation, right? You can't just always take risks like that. You need a foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons all of those corners I was talking about failed essentially, or are failing is because they don't have that foundation, right? Like I was talking about, uh, I was talking about Cisco before who the Jags have built this like group of interior defenders that can help the rest of the defense. The Titans haven't done any of that, right? Like this is a team that hasn't built any foundation. They don't know their identity, right? We talk about that sometimes teams need to know their identity. I have no idea who the Titans are. And if you, if you look at their draft history, you'd say, man, this must be like the best defensive back group in the NFL. And it's not, right? It's, it's a miserable group. But you start to add players in the draft that are more reliable players. You go out in free agency and you get a guy like Sean Murphy bunting, like you pointed out. I think that's how you start to build that foundation. And you're going to see some of these guys step up and have better years. So I expect that, right? That's part of the conversation is I kind of expect some of these younger players that have been underperforming start to do better as they build, they bring in better players around them. So yeah, I, any of those corners, somebody's going to work out. I don't know who it's going to be. One of them's going to work out, but uh, yeah, like it's, it's your bet is as good as mine. There you have it. We just managed to offend every Titans fan that listens to us. So well done. It's funny too. Cause I think when Steve and Sam do their podcast, like they sometimes do that to the Titans fans and they get ripped on by Titans fans. So sorry, Titans fans out there because it's, it's not your fault, right? It's not your fault that your GM didn't know what he was doing for a few years and that they kept him around. Um, it's your owner's fault, but it's not your fault. And <laughs> there you go. That makes me feel better. And play all 22 and prove that you can do it better, right? That's <laughs> silver lining. Okay, that's it. That's all we got. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. But before we close out, I have this cool little poster that I need to put better in the camera angle. I'm going to figure it out. But, guys, we are back, right? We are back ready for signups on all22.com, all-22.com. And you can use promo code. It's on the screen. Second season. So that's 2ND season for $20 off your All 22 membership for 2023. And guys, like this is the time to do it because it's not going to get cheaper. Uh, we are putting this discount code out. Uh, we put it out before it, it's deeper, deeper discount. It's only going to get worse from here, really, guys. So I want you in here to play this game. Um, we have a certain amount of spots that we could really fill up before we just decide we're going to close it down. Um, and the reason being is because we want to make the best game possible for all of you people out there. And the best way we can do that is by making sure that everything's perfect. We feel we've done that and we want to get you in here to try it out and prove that we are the best game out there. Uh, so come to all-22.com and sign up with code second season. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't yet, please give us a review or a follow wherever you uh, f- find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or wherever you watch us on YouTube or Apple, wherever it is. Go follow us. Go give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for tuning in. I'm a ghost.